I just want to give God glory. Do you mind? You mind if I just take a minute? <laughs> He's good. He is amazing. You know, even if I didn't preach today, every song, every testimony, every everything that you have heard so far is in this message. <laughs> he likes to be obvious, doesn't he? He likes to go, I'm really here, I really am. He doesn't mind repeating himself. I love that about him. Because sometimes I'm a little slow. Sometimes he's got to tell me once or twice or three or four times. And sometimes I'm like, are you sure that's you? <laughs> oh, he's good. This message was going to actually start out to be about um, being led by the Spirit. And it turns into that. But God has a way of directing you that you're, that's totally unexpected. I thought I was just having fun in the Word. <laughs> what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm spending too much time looking up at things that don't matter. You know? uh, but I had just said, Lord, lead me. Just lead me. That's all I'm asking. Just lead me. And so I just let him lead. And he led me in a way I was not expecting. <laughs> you know, he does that. He leads you in ways you're not expecting. One of the reasons the Lord was giving me this message is to, the main purpose really, is to encourage you to let God lead you in unexpected ways. People sometimes say to me, oh, you flow really well in the anointing. I don't. <laughs> All I'm doing is I'm listening. And like that song, when he says, step out, sometimes I want to say, oh, what am I going to do when I get there? What am I going to say when I get there? What do you have in mind, God? I want all the details up front. He hasn't given them to me. I'm over here worshiping. He goes, Sarah. Let me go pray for Sarah. Yeah. And I started the, are you sure that's you? <laughs> Isn't that a little distracting? Isn't that a little disruptive? You have to take all the reasoning myself out of God's will. You never do that, right? <laughs> we all have a tendency to want all the answers up front. But he says, go. Step out on something that's illogical. My word. His word is powerful, and it will uphold you like nothing else can. So when I came over to pray for Sarah, I had no idea what to pray. Prayed in the Spirit. And then the Lord said, well done. When he gives me a word for somebody, that's usually how it starts. Two words. See, it's all about faith. Are you going to go where I tell you to go? Are you going to say what I tell you to say? And the more you do that, the more he gives. When you don't know what to say, will you trust me for the word? When you don't know what to pray, will you trust me for the prayers? When you don't know what to preach, will you trust me for what to preach? <laughs> he is that good. So this is how this really came about. And so 
I'm going to talk to you this morning about lordship. Now, I had never actually studied the concept of lordship. Most of us have an idea of what we think that means, lordship. I am going to take a side note here. I'm going to tell you what I'm not talking about. <laughs> I am not talking about lordship salvation. There is a doctrine that's very prevalent in the body of Christ called lordship salvation. And basically what that means is they say things like, if Jesus is not Lord of all, Jesus is not Lord at all. We used to sing a song that said that <laughs> about 30 years ago. <laughs> and of course, you always feel condemned because you, how many of us can look in an area of our life and go, I could do better there. <laughs> okay, so, so those kinds of thoughts, well, they were really good for altar calls. Let's just say it that way. Because if, if I can get you to be condemned, I can get you to make another promise. God does not keep us by our promises. He keeps us by his promises. Amen? Amen. My promises don't have any power in them. His promises have all the power in them. So what I'm not talking about is this concept of lordship salvation. Bottom line is Jesus is Lord, period. Whether I choose to obey or not, it doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. Now, is it in my best interest to obey? Yes, of course it is. <laughs> I want to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking to people who are squabbling about who's their favorite preacher. Well, we follow Paul. No, we follow Apollos. They were squabbling about this. And this, I think, is a really good argument for not believing in lordship salvation. I'm just going to read it to you. This is the Apostle Paul. And I, brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? There were a lot of problems with this church. <laughs> They were zealous for gifts, not so much for fruit. <laughs> they were zealous for power, but not so much for love. This new way of salvation was still so new. And the believers in the Corinthian church were a mixture of heathens, witchcraft worshipers, anything you can think of, and throw in some Jews, too, who are legalistic. And so you get a whole mishmash of people and ideas. And they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have something that goes, here's the authority, let's just do what it says here. They didn't have that. It was all so brand new. So they were learning about this new salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And he comes to them, he says, I've got so much to tell you, so much to teach you, so much I want to impart to you. You haven't stepped out yet. You're still baby." You can't receive what is spiritual. Your minds have not been renewed. Does this sound like people who are getting it right? It doesn't, does it? <laughs> but you know what he never says to them? He never says, too bad you're not saved. Too bad you don't have Jesus. That's because this is a process. Salvation is complete in you. But walking it out and learning to walk in Christ and in the power of the Spirit is a process. We grow in our understanding of Christ. We grow in our understanding of how to operate in the kingdom. It's a process. But eventually we will look back like 
that word and say, well done, Jesus. <laughs> well done. You did it good through me. All the glory is going to be his. So this is what I'm not talking about this morning, lordship salvation. We are saved. When we accepted Jesus Christ, he took us lock, stock, and barrel. He gave me a brand new heart and a brand new spirit. He made me one with him, and there's nothing that can separate me. Even my bad behavior, even my mistakes will not undo the blood of Jesus Christ. I was with him <laughs> when he died. God put me in him, and then I was with him when he was buried. And then I was with him when he raised Jesus from the dead. And then I was with him when he seated him at the right hand of the Father. Bad behavior won't undo that. Now, bad behavior will wreck your life. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not encouraging bad behavior. <laughs> bad behavior will wreck you. And that's really what the Apostle Paul is telling them here. Oh, when you live according to the flesh, the outward man. Well, you can see and hear and understand. You lean into your own understanding. That stuff will wreck you. <laughs> Let's not do that. Amen? Unspiritual Christians. And that's what some translations actually say. He calls them unspiritual. They haven't learned to walk according to the Spirit. They're still walking after the flesh. And he said, unspiritual Christians are royalty that act like they're still peasants. What kind of circles and power do royalty have? Amazing, right? What kind of circles and power do peasants have? Usually none. No power to change anything. That's what he's trying to get across to them. You're living beneath your position. Seated at the right hand of the Father. That's our position. Altogether lovely, just like Jesus. This is what I've called you to live like. Because that's who you are. Last winter, we had a terrible snowstorm, and I don't like driving in snow. And you really pray for driving in safety when there's bad weather, right? <laughs> Lord, you know, the white knuckling, Lord. And the Lord said, stop that. If you understood you were royalty, and you had at your beck and call everything that Jesus had at his beck and call, what would be different about this day? Well, he said he could call 10,000 angels. Okay. I want angel bumpers, Lord. <laughs> I'm royalty. And so I just began to picture it. I am royalty. I am a daughter of the king of the universe. I am royalty. Lord, I'm asking for angels to clear my way. I'm asking for angel bumpers so that nothing can hit me and I can't hit anything else. If Jesus could do that, he says we can do that. And you know what? The fear left. In that moment, I realized, yeah, I'm acting like a peasant. I'm begging and pleading and hoping <laughs> instead of ruling and reigning in Christ. Instead of taking my place and dominion and saying, I'll not have any accidents. Do we have the power and authority to do that? Yes, we do. But how often do we forget that that's who we are? That we don't have to put up with evil. We don't have to put up with it. Amen? There are actually wars between denominations over this concept of lordship salvation. But yet, you know, when you look in the New Testament, it only shows up twice, the word lordship. And it's the same story, once in Mark and once in Luke. And it's Jesus who uses the word. And he uses it like this, Luke twenty-two twenty-five. 25. 
And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. The only time we see Jesus talking about lordship is in a negative way, when he said, he was referring to the tyrants that were ruling and reigning. In fact, you, you can't really tell from this, from just reading it this way, this was sarcasm. <laughs> the tyrants of the day would include the word benefactor in their titles. So here they are, horribly corrupt, oppressive, cruel dictators, and yet they call themselves benefactors. That's not lordship. They call themselves good, and this is what they do. It was absurd to him. What preceded this was the disciples were arguing over who's the best, who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. This is not about lording over people. This is not about being a tyrant and calling yourself good. <laughs> this is a totally different kind of kingdom. What does the word Lord mean? Well, according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, it means this. It's a master. It's a person possessing supreme power and authority, a ruler or a governor. Plain and simple. Now, we know from Scripture that God is Lord. He is supreme in power. He is supreme in authority. He is supreme in everything. He is altogether lovely and good. He owns everything. In the beginning, he gave rulership to Adam, who then very promptly gave it away to Satan. <laughs> the world still belonged to the Lord, but Satan took our position as ruler on the earth. And so part of what Jesus said was restoring us to our rulership through him. What is lordship? It is dominion, power, and authority. It's rule. It's about having your plans and purposes accomplished in your dominion, in your territory. Legally speaking, every human being on the place of this planet and for all eternity belonged to Jesus Christ. With his blood, he bought and purchased them. They have the right to choose him. They have the right to be saved because it's already provided. They're not saved unless they receive him as their savior. But all of it belongs to the Lord. We really need to understand how dominion works. How do I take dominion? What does that look like? The Lord led me to a very strange study on what lordship looked like in the natural. See, Jesus did this a lot. He said, see this picture? <laughs> see the lilies of the valley? He said, look at that. And then he would show them a truth about that. What I want to do this morning is I want to tell you about what lordship looked like in the Middle Ages, and what lordship looked like in Rome, which is when this was written. So the concept of what lordship on the earth looked like. It was called the feudal system. It was a political and economic system based on the holding of all land. They didn't have much as far as monetary systems in those days. So the wealthy were the people who had land. And the resulting relationship of land vassals, land lords, and vassals, and characterized by homage, legal, and military service. What it was, was they had a system where a king had his dominion, okay, like the emperor. Rome was huge. Now, there's no way for one man to manage that much property. 
So as a king, what he would do is he would divvy up his land to usually relatives, <laughs> people of prominence, or people who were really good at fighting. He would be invited to become what was called a vassal. A vassal simply just means the Lord's man. He would be invited to become a ruler, an under ruler of the king, and take care of his property. He'd make it profitable. He himself then could divvy up his land like a state. You know, you divvy it all up and you have counties. You have rulers in each one, and each one is responsible to the one over them. Same kind of concept. And Rome was very good at this. Rome, what they did was they took who they were in Rome, and they made that the rule everywhere. The saying was, all roads lead to Rome. Everywhere you went, you found more of Rome. That was the concept. Rome will expand. You won't have your own culture. You won't have your own identity. You'll have Rome's identity. That was the very effective way of managing the land. But in order to become the Lord's man, he had to go through a ceremony. The emperor or king would be seated, and whoever he had chosen would come and kneel, interestingly, <laughs> in prayer pose. They would clasp their hands like this, and they would put them out to the king or lord. And then the king would then take his hands over their hands, saying, this is a covenant relationship, a contract, and I am the superior. I bring everything to the table. All of it belongs to me, but I'm going to, in this relationship, give some of it to you. They would often include religious ceremonies in this, where you would make promises based on either scriptures of some sort, something holy, a relic, and they would promise to the overlord, the king, that you would be faithful no matter what. You would always defend his land, his dominion, his interests, and even his very person. You would promise to be loyal to him. Now you can see why that would be really important. When you've got all of that territory and all of that corruption, <laughs> if you didn't have people who were loyal to you, it would fall apart very quickly. So it was important for these rituals to take place so that the people themselves would recognize that they were bound to this covenant, this relationship, by God. So even if you didn't like your king or your emperor, if you believed in God, you understood that your God was holding you accountable for this relationship, for, for this contract. In exchange for this, besides getting the um, property, the vassal, the Lord's man, would be required to fight. To whatever enemy would come into his territory, it was his responsibility to push them back. I really like all of these pictures. <laughs> They're so like the kingdom of God in the good. <laughs> The Lord calls us to be his man, the Lord's men, his vassal. We use the word vessel, same kind of concept. What they believed is that whatever divinity the king had, because they often thought kings and emperors had divinity, would be infused into the vassal. And that would enable him to properly take care of the lands and all of that. So that's what lordship looked like. They would often also require to like they make this oath of fidelity which would help them keep their promise. They would hold themselves as accountable to God, not just to the king. Now, the king's part in all of this was he was supposed to provide protection and provision. His vassal would do his fighting and do his bidding, but everything belonged to the king. Now, there was 
benefits to this. It was called beneficial ownership, not direct ownership. I know this sounds more like a social studies class, but <laughs> it was their land, and they could will it to their children. It was theirs as long as they kept the contract. They didn't have direct ownership. The king had direct ownership. And that's how they expanded the realm of Rome so well. This is a great snapshot. It's easy to see the similarities. He does own it all. He's the one that brings everything to the table. And he invites people he likes to come and be his vassal or his vessel. When we come to Christ, of course, this is just a human scenario, but when we come to Christ, we usually make promises. Uh, <laughs> I'll be faithful forever, Lord. I can't tell you how many times I promised God I wouldn't do something, and then I did it anyway. <laughs> but Jesus Christ is the king of the entire world. He really is. He is Lord over all, even if we don't know it. Philippians 2.9 says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, the Lord Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So we understand that Jesus is Lord, but he's not a tyrant. He's not mean. He's not measuring me. He's not scolding me. He's not doing any of those things. He's not like the earthly masters who were cruel and demanded obedience. It's an amazing thing that Jesus never demands that we obey. Like when he told me to go pray for Sarah, he didn't demand anything. He's not looking for servants. He's looking for partners. He's looking for partners. Will you help me take dominion? So often you hear the concept of being servants for Christ. Now, are we sons that serve? Absolutely. <laughs> Are we children who delight in obeying our Father? Yes, because he's good. Not because we're afraid he's going to punish us. So much of my Christian life was living in fear of being punished, scolded by God, disappointing God. <laughs> I would picture him with his arms crossed, you know, tapping his foot at me. You did that again? <laughs> he's not like He's not like earthly masters. Is he the master? Yes. He's master of everything, owner of everything. But he is infinitely good and kind and merciful and graceful and joyful and happy. And he's not mad at anybody. When the Lord showed me this concept of being a vassal, he also showed me that in Matthew chapter 4, where Satan offers Jesus, it's the third temptation, offers Jesus. You see, because... Adam gave our rulership away. <laughs> Satan had it. Had it. Had it. And he took Jesus to a high pinnacle. He says, if you will bow down and worship me, pay homage. See all these kingdoms? I'll give them to you. Easy peasy. All you got to do is worship me. I didn't know about this vassal homage oath thing before. That's what Satan was offering him. Satan's a liar anyway, so you really couldn't trust anything he offered you anyway. <laughs> but you see, that's what he was offering Jesus. He was saying, look, all of this belongs to me, but I'll let you manage it. All the kings of the world, I'll be the king. You'll be my underlord, and I'll let you do whatever you want. 
I really like Jesus' response. Yes, you know, I think he thought after the third temptation, I've had enough of you. Get thee behind me, Satan. And he tells him to get lost. What I really liked about seeing this, that this is what Satan was offering Jesus, a vassalage rather than, than kingdom. He wasn't offering him a kingdom. He was offering him a partnership. We'll be partners. We don't have to fight over this. We could be partners. Everybody wins. No, because Satan didn't understand what Jesus really wanted. Jesus didn't want to take dominion over the kingdoms of the world. He wanted to set the kingdoms free. He wanted to set the people free. He wanted to bring salvation that was eternal and forever and not momentary and not gone in an instant. Satan didn't have a clue what Jesus' heart was and what his plan was. He didn't want a kingdom of prisoners, a kingdom of peasants. He wanted a kingdom of kings. He wanted to be Lord of lords. He wanted partnership with us, not with Satan. That's the amazing thing, is that God would want to give us partnership with him. One of the reasons that Jesus didn't take him up on his goofy little offer <laughs> well, Jesus knew who he was. The temptation came right after his baptism. When the heavens were opened, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And all of the temptations Satan brought to Jesus were if you are the son of God. When God had just openly declared that he was. You see, if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't know that you are the Lord's man, <laughs> then he has entrusted you with his dominion, with his power, with his glory, with his love. If you don't know that, then you won't walk in it. Jesus knew who he was, and there was no way he was going to settle for anything less. And that's my encouragement for you today. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for being a servant. When God says you are a son and a co-ruler and a co-reigner and we together can take over the world, <laughs> we can take back what actually belongs to him now. Amen? Colossians 1.12 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has already transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are in that kingdom. We have it within us. Jesus said the kingdom would be available to us, in us, through us. We have a kingdom, and we have a king, and we have a partnership, if we will understand that that's what lordship is. It's being God's partner. 1 Thessalonians 2:11 says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Did you hear any condemnation in that? If you don't know who you are, you'll think he's saying, you need to walk worthy. <laughs> and it's not what he's saying. He's saying, you need to walk worthy. Come on. You've got all the glory. You've got all the power. You've got my name. You've got my spirit. You've got everything you need to take dominion, to say, Satan, get thee behind me. I'll not have any of your influence in my life. You have the power. All you have to do is use it, exercise it. The king's dominion is available to us, but it's not automatic. He will let me cling to my steering wheel. <laughs> And going, oh, please protect me, please protect me, please protect me. There is no power in that. 
There is no power in begging. <laughs> I am not a peasant. I'm a ruler, a co-ruler with Christ. We have to know who we are and what belongs to us. The kingdom is released when we submit to him. Submit is not a bad word. <laughs> submit is not a bad word. We might like the word yield better. But that's really all it is. It's about hearing what the king is saying and then believing that when you step out on the water, his word has got you. His word will hold you up. It's not about my ability to keep myself saved. It's not about my ability to heal the sick. It's not about my ability to tell demons to get lost. It's about his ability. He has given us, the king has given us his essence, his spirit, his power. We can take dominion, but we have to be willing. You have to be willing to listen and submit ourselves to his lordship. He is Lord, but he's not a tyrant. Jesus Christ bought mankind out of the darkness and out of slavery and offers us a partnership with him, co-ruling, co-reigning in life through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 7 says, The kingdom of God, the kingdom, the king's dominion, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in and through the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Why? Because that's his kingdom. That's his kingdom. The Holy Spirit brings the power of God into our lives. The Holy Spirit is a gift and a person. He's not an influence. He's not apart from God. He is God. We see in the life of Jesus that Jesus was God and was man. He left all of his God-given abilities in heaven and became a man who had a God spirit. So he was 100% man and 100% God here on earth. But when do we see him start working miracles? Not until he's baptized with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the power of God. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and the first thing he did was he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he blew on them. That was salvation. You see, they were counted saved even before Christ had died. They had faith in him. They were looking forward basically to the one and only true sacrifice, but they hadn't been born again. They hadn't received the newness of life and a new spirit. So when he blew on them, they, that's what happened to them. They got born again. But then he told them to do something. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of my Father, the gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit brings us the power, the God life power. And he says we have the ability to operate according to that power and to release it. The only way we release the power of God is through faith. Faith is simply hearing what God says and yielding. Without having to ask 14 million questions about what's going to happen when I do this. <laughs> the power of God is released simply when we hear what he says and we do what he says. That's lordship. Does this sound hard? <laughs> 
No, it doesn't. It isn't. It's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be easy. He gives us the power to yield, but he won't make us yield. Luke 6, 46 says this. This is Jesus talking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to? <laughs> okay, if you're Lord, that means you're supreme in knowledge and supreme in power and supreme in love. You're supreme in everything. You are Lord. And I ask for your advice, and then I don't do it. <laughs> There's a reason we don't do it. You see, because we have the power and authority to take dominion in this world, to make sure that when an enemy comes into our territory, we take care of that enemy, whether it's sickness or disease or poverty or lack or brokenness, addiction, all of that is the work of the enemy. And he says we have the power through Christ to cause those things to be gone with power and authority, by yielding to his spirit, by doing what he says to do. But why don't we? You see, Satan knows he can't stop you from being saved. Can't stop you from being filled with the Holy Spirit and having power to overcome in every situation. Can't stop you. But he can stop you from making a difference in your world. It's really easy. He does it to Christians all the time. What will they think? What if I go and stand and pray by somebody, but I don't have any word? I don't know if you're going to give me a word when I get there. What if they think I'm silly? What if I say it wrong? What if I lay hands on somebody and they don't recover? What if I give and I still run short at the end of the month? He tries to make us afraid of yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. Fear of failure. Feelings of failure. Embarrassment. Feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of being or looking silly, foolish, or stupid. He can't change who you are, but if he can get you to quit being who you are, he can limit the dominion of Christ in our lives. When we first started ministering here, every time I ministered, Satan would beat the living daylights out of me every week. Every week! <laughs> he would say, oh, you forgot that, and you didn't say this, and you, and you giggle too much, and you... <laughs> and all of that. And I was like, God, I, I can't take all this beating up. <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep doing this. You've got to talk to me. And the Lord said, don't you get it? He can't stop you unless he can make you quit. Satan makes Christians quit all the time. We have no excuse. We're not taking the dominion that Christ has already bought and paid for. We have the power. We have to know who we are and whose we are, what we have, and not let feelings, because that's his favorite thing to use, is feelings. Do you feel silly praying for somebody at Walmart? Mark prays for people everywhere. That's just Mark. <laughs> but yes, even I have prayed for people at Walmart. <laughs> Why? Because God sent them into my dominion. God sent them into my area of influence. They needed healing. They needed help. They needed hope. And God said, okay, here, you go over here. Be right here. 
be right here so that I can bring this person to you. They need Jesus Christ. Angels are not given this ministry. They only point to the Christ. We carry him. We carry him. We carry the king in his power. We carry the king in his dominion. We have the right, the power, and the authority. But most Christians are not stepping out because they're afraid. They're afraid God won't come through. They're afraid they'll look silly. After the Lord gave me the message about avoiding the pain of judgment, getting beyond the I think you thinks, I was doing so much better. <laughs> the last time I ministered, I didn't feel beat up. I was all irritable. I had this like picture in my head of little dogs nipping at my feet. You know how irritating that could be. <laughs> I was like, Lord, what is this? He said, Satan doesn't like what you preach. He doesn't want people to know the power they have. He doesn't want people to know that they have the power of God available in them and through them. And with this word, with this sword, we can defend his kingdom. We can make sure that dark does not overcome, that he overcomes. We are not powerless, and we are not helpless, and there is nothing that we cannot do in and through Christ. Amen? Lordship is simply letting him lead, guide, and direct. God wants to take you on an adventure like you've never had before. But you have to be willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to, when you're at the grocery store and somebody's... <laughs> God, and that's all the Holy Spirit does. You just say, see? Are you brave enough to go, can I pray for you? Is there something wrong? You see, you carry the kingdom. And there's a whole host of people who are still in the darkness. And there's a whole host of believers who still live there. They don't know who they are. And they don't understand what he has done. They look at Christ as a tyrant. But he invites us to be his man. To defend who he is and what he's done for them. To take back what the enemy has stolen in our lives and in other people's lives. It all really starts with the power of the Holy Spirit.